Well, hey, church, glad to see you here this morning. Kate and I, uh, just this past week, got back from vacation. We were down in Florida, went to the beach for a day. Uh, Kate, Kate we, we were there for Kate's brother's uh, wedding, and so um, it was good. We, uh, we made it back here all in one piece, okay? Car didn't die. I was wondering if that was going to happen, but, uh, you know, you always play those risks. Uh, but it was good. Uh, when I get back from vacation, it's like, it's like I just have like a boatload of work to do, okay? It's just like all catch-up work, and I'm sure for many of you, it's the exact same way. It takes me like a full day just to get caught up and just to answer um, all my emails, and so I did that this week, had a lot going on. On top of that, we had um, building stuff. There's a lot of things that are, that are moving right now as we get ready to build more space uh, specifically for our kids. By the way, I just want to give a quick shout-out. Uh, next week, I'm going to give you guys the long-awaited all right, building update, okay, that a lot of you guys have been asking about. Um, I will give you our plan. We'll show the pictures. We'll show you what the architects have drawn up, and we'll talk about kind of our next step, and we'll also be talking about everyone on three and what that's looking like. So make sure you're back here next week. Um, it should be interesting. Okay, so I got, got that stuff going on. I got, I got email and just trying to play catch-up. And then on Friday, Friday was like, Fridays are like my, like, I don't worry about nothing. I don't think about anything but my message, okay? I got to work on this 24-7. It's my message, Burger King for lunch, and message, okay? That's what we do. And so um, on Friday afternoon, I was out, I was in a different room. I walked into our office area, and my door's closed, my office door's closed, and I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I go in, and Blaine's like, oh, yeah, I shut a mouse in your office. And I'm like, oh, come on, you know? I'm like, where is it? He's like, I don't know. It was in there somewhere. I looked. It was underneath your couch. Then it ran behind your desk, and I lost it from there. And I'm like, well, we got to get this thing out. Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't mouse in there. I'm going to be, you know, working on my stuff. It's going to be crawling over my feet or something. You know, I don't want that. And so um, we searched everywhere, okay? We, we like, all my furniture, I only got three things. It's like couch, desk, and, like, shelf. And so we, we moved it all. We could not find this dang mouse, it was in there somewhere. We knew it was in there. It had not left the off the, my, my office, but we could not find this thing. And so after devoting a bunch of time to that, we, uh, I sent Blaine to Walmart. He went and got a bunch of, um, of those, like, sticky pads. You know what I'm talking about? They're like trays that the mice, like, jump on, and then they can't get out, and then you could get them and do whatever with them, you know, and take care of them. That's right. And so I lined up. I don't know if this is... You know, this is just how I was thinking. I was like, okay, this thing could get out of my door because it could squeeze through any little crack. And so we lined it up from one end of the doorpost to the other end. And, uh, and so I'm like, it has to cross this line, and it's going to get one of these stuck to it, okay? There's no way it's going to, like, cleanly jump. It's, not, it's a mouse. It ain't going to know. And so we put it there. By the time I left Friday night, it was, nothing had happened. And I'm like, dang it. And then I kind of forgot about it. You know how that goes? And so this morning I get here. So this is, like, a couple hours ago. And I, I opened my office door. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got all these strips. But, like, some of them are missing. So I'm like, okay, well, who got, who got my mouse, you know? And so I go to Nick. I'm like, Mick, did you get my mouse? He's like, I don't know. No, I didn't do it. I'm, like, texting our janitor. I'm like, hey, did you get my mouse? You know, where's my mouse? And uh, nobody has anything. No one can find the mouse. So me and Nick, we go and we do some investigating. And I find it's still in my office with a bunch, with in two of these like sticky trays. And uh, check this out, it wasn't a mouse. It was a chipmunk. <laughs> Apparently Blaine doesn't know the difference between a mouse and a chipmunk, all right? And, uh, and it was dead. And so I don't know, yeah, it, it didn't look like a rough 
it looked like a little bit of a rough end. And I know a mouse is like, oh, good, it died. And a chipmunk's like, aw, you know, I get that. They're basically the same animal, so I don't know what makes the difference. But, um, but yeah, so then I was dealing with that this morning. So all that to say, I'm going to need a little grace from you today, okay? Because I've had a lot going on this week, and we're diving into a new series. But I'm excited about it. It's really, I'm excited of not just for myself, for learning, because this is just... The seven churches in Revelation is just not something that I've heard very many churches cover. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into it. And so I'm good. I'm excited about learning my, for myself. I'm also excited for our church as a whole as we dive into God's messages, uh, message to us through these churches. So uh, basically, the, in the beginning of the, Revela- of the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, God gives seven messages to seven different churches, and uh, he gives these messages through a guy named John. And he tells these messages to him, and he says, write this down, and I want you to tell the church. Now, who, um, and so, so he does this, and uh, that's where we get the book of Revelation. We're going to jump right into quickly this morning. Uh, basically, John, he says, this is how it happened. He says, I John. Now, who's John? We know John, right? We've been talking about John. Actually, we've talked about John a lot this year, okay? We went through the whole book of John. Yeah, good one. Okay, you guys got extra sleep this morning, so you guys should be more chippy than this. So John, he was one of Jesus' disciples, right? I mean, John, he was one of Jesus' right-hand men. In fact, John describes himself in the book of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so we see John all over the place. Uh, John writes the book of John. He, when he writes the book of John, that's just an account of Jesus' life. And uh, back then, John was probably in his 20s when he was, 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 when he was with Jesus. Um, but now he's a lot older. Uh, he's probably in his 80s or 90s at this point. He's towards the end of his life. All right, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction. So he's gone through some, some bad stuff. But I'm also your brother and partner in the kingdom. Okay, that's the kingdom of heaven and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God that came uh, in the testimony of Jesus. So here's John. This is about 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. All right, so John's probably in his 80s or 90s at this point, probably in his 90s. And um, at this point in history, the Roman government had come down extremely hard on this new belief called Christianity. In fact, Christians were being slaughtered all over the empire. I mean, at this point in history, uh, Paul had already been beheaded by Rome. Right, Peter had already been crucified on a cross. He actually got crucified upside down by Rome. Uh, James, the leader of the church in, in Jerusalem, he was thrown off a building. And probably every single of the other disciples at this point in history are probably dead. John is probably the last remaining original church leader left. And he's been banished by the Roman government because he won't shut up about this Jesus guy. He won't stop talking about him, even when he's in his 90s. And so history tells us that not only is he on this island, he's probably within a prison camp on this island working in a marble quarry or a marble mines uh, there. And uh, if you can imagine, if you're in your 80s or 90s, I mean, think about it. Can you imagine uh, getting up every morning and going and hauling rock all day? Sounds fun, right? <laughs> okay. Probably not the, not the most, you know, probably not the ideal situation. I would think. And so, but that's what John is living. That's what he's living through. And so John tells us that uh, one Sunday, he was in the Spirit. So what's that mean? 
all right? Uh, this means he gets like, he like gets transported um, by his spirit or he gets, he gets moved in the sense, like he's suddenly taken by God. Um, think about it, like he gets beamed up, that type of thing. So he gets like beamed up on the Lord's day. So that's a Sunday. And he says, he's just like, suddenly he doesn't know what's going on. He says, he heard a loud voice behind him like a trumpet. So here's John. I want you to picture this really as we dive in. And this is kind of the context for this whole series I want you to picture what exactly John is seeing, what exactly is happening. That's why John gives us all these details, is because he wants us to be able to imagine what he saw. So think about this. This is John. He's probably in his 90s. He's sitting in his cell one Sunday morning, eating his Pop-Tarts, reading the paper, doing whatever he does, his normal routine, and all of a sudden, bam, he's in the throne room of God. I mean, he's crazy. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's happening. He was just, just a moment ago, he was getting ready to go lug around a bunch of rock for, the full, you know, for, for all day. And now he's in the throne room of God and he hears this voice behind him and he doesn't even know how to describe this. He's like, I don't know. He's like, uh, like if I, you know, he's only using like earthly things that we all have seen here on earth. He's like, it was like, uh, like a trumpet almost. Like if a trumpet had a voice, it was kind of like that is what he's saying. He's like, I hear this voice behind him, and this voice says, John, write on a scroll what you see. And then I want you to send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and lastly, to Laodicea. He says, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, see who, who was talking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He says, and among the lampstands was the one like the Son of Man. He's, he's describing here the Son of Man. This is Jesus, right? This is his old buddy from decades before. This is Jesus who rose again from the dead. He was like, he was like Jesus. He was Jesus, but he was also different in the fact that he was dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. By the way, let me just say this. This is one of the most um, intense, like, this is one of the best passages in, of Scripture in the entire Bible. Right, Because this is where God, through John, gives us a glimpse into his throne room and his glory and his holiness. Okay, So I want us to picture this as a church together. He says the hair of his head. And John's, he's just like grasping for like descri- description of this. He's like his, his, the hair of his head was white as wool. Like even whiter than that. Like, 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 white, like white as snow. Like think about even whiter than that he's saying. And his eyes, his eyes was like. I mean, the best way I could describe it, like, uh, like something that we've all seen, he's like, he's like think about it, it's like, it was like fire. That's what his eyes like, look like. That's the closest thing I could come to describing it. He's like his feet and his skin was like fine bronze, not like, like bronze on, of a trumpet or a tuba or you know, trombone or whatever, like that when we think of bronze. He's like, no, 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 this is bronze like that, sure, but, but bronze that's still glowing red hot in the furnace. He's like, that's what it's like. Fired in a furnace. He says, and his voice, man, his voice, it was crazy. His voice was like, like, kind of like a trumpet, but also like the sound of like, of, of like, of cascading waters. Meaning like a giant waterfall or like a tidal wave coming in. It was like this roar to it. It's like, that was his voice. And he had seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. And this isn't like a legit, like, you know, like real sword coming from his mouth. This is, the Bible describes truth. As a sword. In fact, the Bible describes God's word as a two-edged sword, meaning his words are a hundred percent truth. His words are like a weapon in that sense. And his face, 
man, John's like, man, his face, his face was like, I don't even know how to describe it. His face was like, I mean, the close, his face was like the sun. But not just like any old sun on any old day. He's like, no, 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 no. The face, it's like the sun shining at its full strength, even brighter than that. I mean, can you picture this? Like, like, like can you imagine this? Like, here's John. Him and Jesus were super tight when, when Jesus was here on earth for, the, for those three years. It's like Jesus' best friend. He hasn't seen Jesus for over 60 years. And, and he turns around and he finally sees Jesus. And I don't know about you, like when I see a friend that I haven't seen for a long time, you know, I'm just like, dude, what's up? How's it going, man? Like, I, like how you been? What's going on? Like, like tell, me about, tell, tell me about what you've been up to, like that type of thing. Some of you guys, you're like huggers, you know? And so, like, I'm not a hugger, but you're a hugger. And so what do you do? Like, yeah, squeal. And you, like, run up and you, like, like hug them. You know, don't let go, that type of thing. Maybe give them a big bear hug. I don't know. John doesn't do that either. John doesn't go and say, you know what, Jesus? Hey, hey, it's good to see you. Hey, I, I, haven't, I haven't thanked you after, after your resurrection. I just want to shake your hand, Jesus. Good job on that. You know, he doesn't do any of that. No, what does John do? John says, when he saw him, he fell at his feet like a dead man. He drops on his face before this Jesus. It's kind of interesting. Um, I talk to people a lot. And sometimes I hear people say stuff like, man, when I get to heaven, I got some questions for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's got some explaining to do. You know, and every time I hear that, I'm like, who are you talking to? Like, nah, <laughs> no way, man. You don't know who you're going to be asking the question. You ain't going to be able to get anything out of your mouth. You are going to fall on your face. That's what's going to happen. See, it's a reminder, like we've said before, you got two options when it comes to Jesus. You can bow or you can bow. That is it. By the way, I don't know how you picture Jesus. I feel like a lot of us, and I talk about this a lot, I feel like, like, there's just, I don't know. I don't know why we do this. Like, a lot of us, we view Jesus as like this soft um, Petting lambs, long flowing hair, gentle, meek, weak guy. It's like kind of a man, but kind of not as man. You know what I mean? Like, like he's also, he's just, he's just soft, you know? Like that's how we view Jesus. And, and, and some of us, maybe for, for others, it's like we view Jesus like, I don't know, just kind of like a better version of ourselves. Like, hey, that's who I want to be. Or, or maybe we view Jesus like this old man in the sky who kind of, he's up there watching us. And he kind of chuckles like when we do something wrong, he's just like, <laughs> You know, that's so funny. Like that type of thing. Like, no, that's not Jesus. All right, this, this is Jesus. Not that, this, okay? Not that Jesus, this Jesus. This is Jesus. So however you view Jesus, whatever image you have of Jesus, all right, take that, crinkle it up, throw that away, and replace it with this. All right? This is who he is right now. And Jesus reaches over to John and he says, John, don't be afraid, man, it's me. He says, I want you to see what's going to happen and I want you to write this stuff down. And so John writes down what he sees. John writes down what he's told. That's where we get the book of Revelation. Now, if you read through Revelation or if you've tried to read, or if you've read through Revelation, um, it's a little confusing all right, it's a little complicated. There's a lot of imagery and stuff like that. It's pretty crazy. Like God unlocks John's imagination, not fantasy, 
but reality, okay? Not fantasy, but reality. And, and he's writing originally to these seven nearby churches who are literal, real churches that are in the area. Actually, we'll, I'll show you a map of it. Um, here we are, Northwood, Fremont, Tiffin. These are our three campuses that we have here at Grace and, um, you know, roughly 30, 40 miles apart from each other-ish. And so um, let's uh, go out, Google Earth across the, uh, there's the United States, across the Atlantic. Come on. All right, there we go. We're moving, we're moving. Um, and here we are. This is the area that these churches were in. Um, let's, yeah, there we go. Okay, so this is modern day Italy, Greece, Turkey. We got Israel over here. We got Egypt down here. So if you could picture it, like uh, down at the bottom is the top tip, if that makes sense, of Africa, Italy and Greece, all this up here, that's Europe. And then I don't know if Turkey's like Europe or Asia. Okay, it's like right in the middle. Um, and then you got the Middle East with Iraq and Syria. And then over this way, you have Asia. Okay, if that makes sense a little bit. Let's zoom into modern-day Turkey, which is where these churches are located. And uh, the churches are right there. Here's the island of Patmos, where John is actually writing this stuff from. And uh, there's where our, our churches are. Are. And what's crazy is God has a specific message for each one of these churches. Uh, and what's interesting is that a lot of these churches, they're dealing with the exact same issues that we, as a church here in Tiffin, are dealing with today. Which means that the things we're going to be looking at for the next six to seven weeks are extremely relevant to how we live our lives here today. So John writes these messages down. Uh, the idea is that he writes it on a scroll. Back then they didn't have books or letters. They had scrolls. Okay, so he writes this thing on a scroll or, or parchment or whatever. He hands it to a messenger. The messenger goes, takes it to the first church. We're going to find out the first church is going to be Ephesus. And then they read this out loud to the congregation on a Sunday morning, just like kind of what we're doing today. And, uh, and then they make a copy of the book of Revelation is what they did. And then they take it and they, the messenger would then take it to the next church. Okay, does that make sense? That's how these, this thing uh, traveled around to each, to each uh, church. And so um, everybody got to read everybody's mail. All right, some of that gets a little embarrassing for some of the churches, which we're going to find out. But uh, everybody gets to see. And the first message is to a church in the city called Ephesus, which is right there. Okay, Ephesus. Now, we've talked about Ephesus a lot before. Um, Ephesus should be nothing new. Um, and, so, and so some of us should be somewhat familiar. This is what he says to the church to Ephesus. He says, write to the angel of the church in the city of Ephesus. Now, we see this, we're like, write to the angel, okay, why? Like, what's that mean? Write to, the, you know, there's an angel there, what's going on? No, no, no. The word angel, it means, it's really the Greek word angelos. And uh, angelos, it literally means messenger, okay? That's what the word literally means. And so what Jesus is referring to here within the context is he's saying, write this to the messenger located at Ephesus, or write this to the pastor, or write this to the leader of Ephesus, the one who brings the messages, okay? So for here in Tiffin, it would be write this to the messenger, Zach, okay, the pastor, and uh, this message is not just for Zach or for the pastor, this message is for the entire church, and, but this is what they are um, to, to, this is what they are to read. Uh, Ephesus is nothing new, okay, like I said, 
We've heard of Ephesus before. Ephesus was a massive city. In fact, you could go and uh, you could still check out Ephesus today. These are the ruins that are there. I mean, it's just a huge place. It was a magnificent city. It was kind of the center or the hub of trade within that region. They had a harbor there. There's a road, um, major Roman roads there. And uh, here's a library. I believe this was like the biggest library in the world at that point. It was in this massive city. They had a ton of influence. It was, again, a major trade hub. Not only was it a major trade hub, but it was also the epicenter of worship to many Greek and Roman gods. In fact, they had this huge temple that was one of the seven wonders of the world. This was the temple of Artemis, and the Greeks called, called this god the goddess Artemis, and the Romans called this goddess Diana, same god. They kind of merged them together. And uh, this was one of the seven wonders of the world. And this place was huge. People came from all around the world to come visit this temple and to come worship this god, this goddess called, called Artemis that was the sex and fertility god um, of that area. And so you would go, you would worship fake gods. How the worship of this at this temple would work is you'd go, you worship this god, and then you go sleep with a bunch of prostitutes, like as many as you wanted. And that was awesome. And that's what they did, okay? And so that's, that's the issue. A lot of, a lot of scholars believe that uh, at any given time there was a thousand temple prostitutes slash sex slaves that worked within these temples. And so anybody, men and women, could come and you could sleep basically with everything, with whoever you wanted. And so it's just one of those cities. It was like, what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus unless it's contagious and you have to carry it around for the, with you for the rest of your life. Like that's the type of, yeah, not like a great place, you know. That is the city that is surrounding this church. It was a church or is a city that was addicted to entertainment and addicted to sexuality. By the way, does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that culture sound anything like our culture that we are surrounded by today? It does. There's a church there. This church called Ephesus that God is talking about. Actually, this church was started by Paul and a married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And they, were, um, they started this church roughly 45 years before this letter was written. Uh, Paul was the one who got this church started. And, uh, and, and he was just there for a short amount of time. He left. We see all this in the book of Acts. A little later, this guy named Apollos, he came and he helped lead this church there for a little while. Uh, a few years later, we know that Paul comes back to Ephesus to help out the church. When he gets there... Their church has not grown very much. There's only like 12 guys and their families that are a part of this church. And so Paul decides he's going to dedicate the next two years of his life helping grow this church. And so every single day for the next two years, Paul goes to a major lecture hall within this city. And uh, maybe somewhat like that library, that, the, the picture that we just looked at, that may have been the same one. He goes to this place and he just starts teaching every single day about Jesus. And the Bible tells us that so many people, right, gave their lives to Jesus. Actually, the Bible tells us that everybody in, in Acts, that everybody in the city heard about Jesus, and that many, many, many of them actually gave their lives to Jesus. In fact, so many people, we see in Acts chapter 19, so many people turned to God that in, in those two years, that a whole industry, one of the major industries of Ephesus, actually almost ceased to exist. 
one of the major industries within Ephesus was um, the silversmiths and stuff, and they would make these little, like, fake gods and these little trinkets that people from all over the world, when they'd come worship and sleep with whoever they wanted to sleep with at, uh, at the temple, at the different temples, there's more than one, uh, they would go and you would buy these, like, little fake gods that you can take home and you can worship, you know, whenever you wanted. And so everybody in Ephesus had all these little fake gods that they worshipped within their homes. And, uh, but so many people gave their lives to Jesus, they started realizing, what are we doing with these fake gods? These aren't even real. And so they started throwing them out and not buying them anymore. And so all these silversmiths that produce these little fake gods, they started looking around like, dude, we're not making any money. Our livelihoods are at stake. No one's buying our little fake gods. And so one of them steps up, this guy named Demetrius. He goes and he gets all of those little silversmith friends, and they go to kind of the main amphitheater within town. It's still there today. This amphitheater, this very one, it holds about 20,000 people, and he gathers them all, and he fills this place up. And they all start this riot, and they pull in some of Paul's companions. Again, we see all this in Acts chapter 19. They pull in some of Paul's companions, and they are getting ready to kill them. And again, they're not into this whole Christianity thing. And actually, for two hours straight, they start chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two full hours. I mean, can you imagine that? And they don't shut up. They don't stop. They just yell. I mean, it's a huge crowd, 20,000 people just shouting at the top of their lungs. Paul, he's actually on the outside of the theater. He wants to go in, but, none of, but the church, the Ephesian church, who we're talking about here, they won't let him, and they're holding on to him. And Paul, he wants to go in, and he's like, man, this is a perfect time for me to present my case and present this, this guy named Jesus. And they're like, if you go in there, they will kill you. And so they ask Paul to leave, and Paul leaves to go on to another church, and it's all good. But, uh, but Paul, he was a leader there for a long time. Later on, we know Timothy. He's the pastor at this church in Ephesus. You read the books in the New Testament, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Where's Timothy? He's in Ephesus, all right? That's where, he was, that's where he was leading. After that, we know that John, John, who's writing this book, he was a leader. He was the pastor at this church in, <coughs> in Ephesus. I'm getting choked up here, or I'm choking on my spit. <clears throat> the crying thing really makes it better, you know. He was the pastor in Ephesus. All right, some of you guys are like, gross. Okay, sorry. And so these guys had some, like, pretty good leaders. Can we, can we all agree on that? Paul, Apollos, uh, Aquila and Priscilla are there for a while. You got Timothy. You got John himself. I mean, I mean, they got it going on. And so as John is writing this message from God to the Ephesian church, I mean, think about it. He knows these people. And so he is listening in. This is what he says. He says, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works. First thing God tells him, he's just saying, I know you. I've seen you. This isn't like I know you, like, like I read about you in a book, and so now I have that knowledge. Or say, somebody told me you're doing really good. No, no, no. This is a lot more of an intense word in the original language. This is, I know you. It's the idea of, I've seen you. I am watching every tiny little move that you are making. I've seen your work, which, by the way, reminds us, he's watching us, too. You realize that? We don't hide anything from God. God knows everything that we do. He knows our every thought, unfortunately, right? He knows everything. He's watching intently 
on us, just like he was watching these people. He's saying, I know you. I've seen you. I've seen your works, and I've also seen your labor. This word for labor, it's not just like casually you're at work, you know, doing your office job. No, no, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's like, it's like you're intensely working. It's like you're working to the point of exhaustion. That's what he's saying. And he's like, I've seen your work. I've seen you working to the point of exhaustion. You, you know, he, I've seen you working all week, and then you are, then you're, you know, you're taking care of your family. Then you're there at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings doing tech and doing music and, and getting the coffee ready. Like, I've seen, I've seen your work. And I like that is what he's saying. Right? He likes our hard work. He likes our endurance. And he says, and I also like that you cannot tolerate evil, pe- evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be complete liars. He says, I know that you have persevered and you've endured hardships. Life hasn't always been easy for you for the sake of my name. And you have not grown weary. He's saying, man, you've suffered. I've seen it with my own eyes, simply because you worship me. Maybe similar to, to like Acts 19, like what we just read about, where they drug all these, some, some of these Christians, they've lost everything within this church. Some of these people, they've been suffering because they're a Christian probably for decades. And what's awesome about it is here's God, he's pointing it out and saying, man, you know what impresses me? Like, like not only are you suffering, not only are you grinding, not only are you working hard, but you haven't even grown tired yet. Like that's pretty impressive. He said, I've seen the good things you've been doing. I've seen your endurance. I've seen your work. I've watched as you tested others. By the way, you just don't take others' word for it when it comes for, when it comes about, you know, when, it, when it's about me. You compare it against my words, which, by the way, is something every single one of us should probably be doing. Actually, 100% should be doing. Like, you shouldn't just you see some meme on Facebook or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's from God, you know. That, like, you should be testing the things that we see with what? The Bible, because this is the only thing we can trust. We know this is 100% truth. You should be testing the words I say with the Bible. And it ever contradicts the Bible, go with the Bible. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That's why, we try to, that's why I read this on a screen so we can all kind of read it together um, in you know, God's word from the Bible. It's something we should all be doing, always looking for truth. This church was doing that, constantly searching for truth. And as John's listening to this, and he's taking notes, he's probably like, that's right. Hey, Jesus, do you remember I was a pastor at this church? Uh, yeah. Um, those, that's my church, man. Those are my people until they brought me to Patmos, you know, logging, lugging stone all day. And he's, like, he's like, those are my people. By the way, if God somehow gave me, like, like just beam me up one day and was like, oh, hey, Zach, I got to, you know, I fall on my face and I'm, I'm before him. He's like, okay, no, you can stand up, Zach, here. Um, hey, I got a message for you to tell the church in Tiffin. And I want you to write this down. And he's like, hey, you know, well, I want you to tell them that's like, you know, I've seen your generosity and they're giving to the church. And I've seen those people, they're serving and they're, they're working hard and they're trying to get that building built, which again, we're going to talk about next week. And, uh, and they're trying to make space and they're investing in the future generation. They're trying to help people find me and help people find hope. And they're sticking to the truth like they have not swayed like so many other churches in the area have swayed. And, and, and if we heard that, if that was the message that God God gave me to tell you, I'd be like, that's right, those are my people, Tiffin, you know what I'm talking about? It's my church. I'd be pumped. I'd be feeling pretty good, not about you guys, but also about myself. You know, I'd be like, I'd be like, 
I'd be like, man, I'm doing such a good job. My people are doing such a good job. Our team here in Tiffin, we are doing such a good job. That's what I'd be thinking. And I bet as John is hearing this and writing this, he's just like, yeah, this is great. You know, he's like, man, I wish I could tell him all this, but I'm stuck in Patmos, you know. Like, uh, I hope the messenger, you know, he's pumped when he's, re- he's reading this. And I bet, you know, weeks later when the Ephesian church is hearing this read at church on Sunday morning, I bet they're like, yeah, we are. You know, like, dude, we are dominating this place. It ain't easy here. God's seen it. He's seen our hardships, right? Like, he's seen that this is not great, that this is not easy. But, but here we are. And they're all probably at this point feeling pretty good about themselves. Then God goes on and Jesus says, but I have this against you. Ain't that like Jesus to find a problem? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, ain't that like Jesus to like, oh, but there is sin. That, like, he, like he points this out. It's kind of like every time I go to the mechanic, you know what I'm talking about? I take a car there and I'm like, hey, I got this problem. Can you, you know, can you get this fixed? And they're like, okay, yeah. And then I go there to pick it up and they're like, um, hey, we got this fixed and we got this fixed, but you got to fix this. And this, and that's not right. You know, just all this stuff, and you're just like, dude, why didn't you just stop? Like, like, I don't need to know that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it was going so good. But there's always an issue. And so Jesus is going to point out their issue. He says, here's the issue. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, this word abandon, notice he doesn't say you lost it. Like, oh, well, you, you accidentally lost your love. Oh, man, I'm going to have to go find that. You know, he doesn't say that. He says, no, no, you've left your love. You've actually walked away from your love. Here he is. He's saying, hey, you're doing all the right things, and you guys look so good doing it, but you've become so sophisticated, and you've become so grown and so mature in your faith that you've actually exchanged doing good things for me, which is good, right? For actually knowing me, which is so much better. He's saying, you guys are doing so great, but you're doing the things that you're doing for the wrong reasons. And you are messing up the order. And here's God. He's saying the order matters. Uh, This past week, I was trying to think of how to illustrate this. And so... um, I was thinking about math. Remember, I don't think about math very often. I was never good at math. I don't like math. Um, this actually was giving me, like, stress, just, like, going through this. This week, I'm like, okay, an equation. You know, so I called up Vicki Ingalls, who's a TU professor, who's a math teacher. I'm like, hey, you know, you got to give me, uh, you need to give me a, a good equation that I can use on Sunday morning. She sent me this equation that all, like, kind of looks simple, but it was, I was like, yeah, that's too complicated. You got to dumb this down. So she dumbed it down, like, three levels for me. And so it's kind of like this. In math, the way you do math or the way you solve an equation is some of you guys try to remember with me. This is what I relearned this week. The order matters, right? So if you take an equation that's like um, 2,5x minus 5 equals, let's say, 30, right? The order matters. So you could go in here. You could just start doing math. Like 5x minus 5, well, that would equal x. And then you got this 2 equals 30. And then it makes sense that you divide this by 2, divide by 2, x equals 15, right? Like you can look at that, and some of that math is correct, right? 30 divided by 2 is, okay, good. I was like, was it 15? I think it's 15, you know? 30 divided by that, like that is, that's accurate, okay? But the order here matters, 
And that's what God is saying. That's what Jesus is telling this church. He's saying, hey, your order matters. You got to do this in the correct order, in the correct sequence, which would be 2 times 5 equals 5x, sorry, equals 10x minus 2 times 5 equals, equals 10 equals 30. And then you plus 10, all right, plus 10. So that would be 40 equals 10x, all right, divide by 10, divide by 10, all right, x equals 4. Dominated that math problem. Give me an A, okay? There we go. All right, order matters a lot. 4 and 15 is a big, big difference when it comes to math. God is saying the order in which we do, you know, our good works compared to love, God is saying it matters a lot. It really, really, really matters. It must be done in the correct order. See, the correct order is we love God first, so we want to do good things. See, the Ephesian church, and what so many of us do, is we do good things, Yeah, we'll worry about the God thing later. Notice, he's talking about church people here. You know who those people are? People like us. Because we do this. I mean, at some point, some of us, we get so immersed in our Bible study or serving or leading some area. Like, good, good things. Like, those are really good things. And we become so focused on building our, like, little kingdom here at church that we forget the reason why we're doing it. I mean, if you've been in church for any amount of time, at any church, really, you've seen this take place. You got that person who's all into their class and is all about their group, or that person who she's all into the music or just wants to play this instrument, or that person who's like all into the drama or VBS or kids or whatever it might be. And instead of thinking about the church as a whole, or, you know, they don't think about why they're doing what they're doing. Their little kingdom comes first. And every single one of us, we can all fall into this trap in our own private life. And I bet there's a bunch of us sitting here today that are struggling with that. That means you could go to church and not have Jesus as your first love. You realize that? You could go to church. You can read your Bible and not have Jesus as your first love. You can pray. And not have Jesus as your first love. You can serve in church, which we should all be doing, but not have Jesus as your first love. You could be a great mom. You could be a great dad and not have Jesus as your first love. You could be a great friend or a really, really good employee and not have Jesus as your first love. It's like what we end up doing is a lot of us, we end up doing these good things and we get like in the system and we just live our life in autopilot. And we're doing a bunch of good stuff, but we're doing all our good stuff for the wrong reasons. That was the Ephesian church's problem. And God's saying, hey, you got some of the math right, but your order's out of whack. And that's a big deal. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want you to ask yourself, like legitimately, is that you? All of us have been stuck in this before, every single one of them, definitely including me, okay? Is that you this morning? Have you gotten so worked, into, so worked up into doing, like, you do all these good things, which is good, all right? I'm not saying don't do those things. That's the one thing this church got right, all right? They had that nailed. But are you so into doing the good things that you don't remember, you don't think about why you're doing them? 
You come here and serve at church, and, and it just kind of becomes like a job. Like, it's just like, oh, okay, I got to do this this week. You know, because you don't remember why you do what you do. You're doing a bunch of good things at work and, you know, at school or whatever, but you don't, real, you don't realize why you do what you do. And so the question is, what do we do about it? And so real quick, Jesus, he gives them a solution. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to remember then how far you have fallen. I want you to repent and then do the works you did. At first. So here he gives us three quick things. First thing he says is remember. All right, I want you to remember um, how it was when we first met, that type of thing. Do you remember how it was when you first met your spouse? Remember that? No? <laughs> Some of you guys have been too long that you're like, huh? I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was good, right? It was fun. It was exciting. It was like that new feeling, get those butterflies in your stomach type thing, and you're like, oh, you know, there he is walking by, or, you know, like that type of thing. You know, you got that going for you. Remember how that was? Um, that, you know, I'm guessing, I'm guessing for a lot of us, not from my own experience, of course, but uh, from your guys' um, answers, you know, <laughs> your guys' response, I'm guessing that's kind of worn off um, a little bit from how it used to be. But... Um, you know, it's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. See, so many of us, when we get saved, it's like right at the beginning, we're like so pumped, man. All right, we're, it's new, it's exciting, it's fun. We realize some of us, like someone like us can actually be saved. We're curious. We're trying to learn more. We're trying to dig deeper. We're motivated to do good because God saved us. But as time goes on, for some reason, I don't even understand it. We just like lose it. Jesus is like, no, 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 remember that. That's how I want you. That's how I want you to stay. Go back to the beginning. Some of us, we just got to go back to the basics. We've been Christians for so long and for decades. So we got to remember exactly. We got we to gotta go back a long way to the basics. He says you also got to repent. Now, this word repent sounds super churchy. Totally get it. Um, it's not, actually. Repent simply means it's like you're going one way, and it's like, oh, going the wrong way. Okay, and then you turn around. It's a 180-degree turn. Okay, you're going one way, you flip, you go the opposite way. When uh, Kate and I were on vacation last week, um, once in a while, okay, not often, I'd find myself going the wrong way down the highway. You get what I'm saying? Like, like going, like we missed our exit, that type of thing. Siri's fault, not mine, of course. And, um, and so we're driving down, and I'm like, oh, damn, I'm supposed to get off of the exit, stupid phone. You know, and so I'm going, and I got to go like five more miles, get off of the next exit, go over the bridge, Go back on the on-ramp and head five miles back and then get off the exit. You go, we've all done that before, right? Most of us. Some of you men are like, nope, never. All right, good for you. <laughs> all right, so I'm doing this. Um, that's not repentance. Actually, that's not the word repent in this. That's not the 180 that Jesus is calling us to do. This is a lot more of a drastic repent. This is a lot more of a drastic turn. This would be, instead of me going up to the next exit, this is me not pressing the gas. This is me or not pressing the brake. This is me pressing the gas and blowing through the median, you know, whipping out onto the next lane and then heading back as fast as I can the other way. That's what repentance is. That's what this word means. Jesus is like, some of you guys, man, you just need to repent. You're going one way. You're going down the wrong way. You need to aggressively turn around. I don't care if you blow that median, blow it and come back as fast as you can. That's what we need to do. He's saying not only that, but you also need to do the work. He's saying don't stop working. All right, you're doing the work. You're doing a great job with this. But now that you have the right motivation and the right reasons, and now that you remember why you do what you're doing, he says keep on doing. And so it's really, really 
Simple. He's saying, this is what you got to do. You just got to remember, repent, redo. Say that with me real quick. Remember, repent, redo. All right? It's simple. Remember, repent, redo. Remember, repent, redo. Otherwise, last few verses, he says, otherwise I will come to you and I will remove your lambs and I will remove your church from its place. Unless you repent, you do the 180. Yet you do have this. He says, you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans. Now, a lot of scholars, we don't know, scholars don't know who the Nicolaitans were or what their deal was. Some say that maybe these were guys who um, were like, oh, yeah, you can worship Jesus and just do whatever makes you happy, okay? Um, And notice that he doesn't say you hate the Nicolaitans, okay? He doesn't say that. God doesn't hate those, he doesn't hate anybody. These people didn't hate it. He says, no, 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 you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus is saying, which I also hate. He says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to these churches. Here he is. He's saying, listen to me. See, Jesus, he's saying, man, I'm not just some Bible study reading plan. I'm not just a place to go on Sunday mornings. We're not just a quick prayer before you eat. That's not who I am. Here's Jesus. He's saying, you don't understand. I am the God of the universe who voluntarily took off my power that you see right now and my glory, and I came down to your dirt, and I died, and I paid your price that I didn't rightfully have to pay so you could have a real deep relationship with your creator. See, some of you guys, you've not even, you're not even part of the church yet. Because you've never started that relationship. And I just want to tell you, you are missing a gout out. Again, you only got two options with Jesus. You can, either, you can either bow or you can bow. It's the timing that's everything. And for the rest of us, view this as a caution or a warning for us. We could be doing all the right stuff. We could be doing all the good things. We could look good doing it while we're doing it, you know. But if we don't do the things that we're doing for the right reasons, which is a big deal, all right? Like, I feel like we mess up on that a lot. Jesus is just like, man, what's the point? That's good, but you're missing it. The order matters. He's saying, love me and do the work. This church had the work down. I think for the most part, a lot of us, in this church, we have the work done. Not all of us. Some of us, we've never jumped into anything, you know. He's saying, you got to love me, though. you got to do it for me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. Thank you that, um, you know, we can learn more about you. And this is something that, you know, I feel like most churches, including ourselves, we don't, we don't go through this often. But it's so rich and it's so good. God, help us to not only work hard. And work tirelessly. God, help us to do it for the right reasons. And to do good and to shine like you've called us to shine. But also on the inside, we're shining. Because we're doing it. Because we love you. Because you saved us. And you didn't have to. God, we thank you for this. We ask that you'd help us to remember that throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.